DraftKings Sportsbook is officially live in New York State with mobile sports betting just in time for the football playoffs. Right now, you can place a bet from anywhere in New York with DraftKings Sportsbook, including from the comfort of your own couch. To add to the excitement, DraftKings is giving new customers a special offer that you don't want to miss. Bet just $5 on any playoff game and win 280 in free bets. If your team is victorious, the wait is finally over. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook now to check out all the DraftKings great promotions and features, including same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code BKRB and get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Just bet $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That promo code is BKRB this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restricts to subscribe. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook full deal. Must be 21 plus and physically present in New York. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. Pod Boys Productions. I wanna tell and now's the time. I wanna tell that you're mine. I can't tell you how I feel. My heart is like a wheel. Let me roll. Your boy Pod Drew here, back for a little movies pod. It's movies are relevant on Brooklyn Rebound Network. It's twenty damn twenty two, which means we're talking twenty twenty one movies and other stuff. Looking in on work from a recently deceased legend of the genre as well, perhaps. I guess the genre being films is that a genre? No, it's not. But Eric, why don't you pop in here? E-Nam and uh, clean this up, clean up this intro for me. It's not go- It's not starting off hot. Uh, film is a medium, uh, Drew. True. So Legend of the Medium, I'm talking about uh, Peter Bogdanovich, R.I.P., that, which happened recently, kind of new Hollywood director, that era, one of those guys. Actually, a, a number of uh, deaths recently. Do more deaths of celebrities or actors and stuff happen around... The, the new year, I feel like, or uh, the holidays, or is that just, um, just seems like it. I don't know. I don't know. For the last, like, five, six, seven years, I feel like it's been, like, March and April. You know? We had, like, okay. Bowie and Prince right in there one year. True. That was 2016, I believe. That sounds right. Because back then, everyone's like, 2016? What are you going to do next? And then that's the, the year thing has really just gotten out of <laughs> Right. Turns out every year can go fuck point. itself. Yeah, even 2022, killing people. Bob Saget died already. Anyway, today, like I said, we're going to... Like, we started it in 2021, I believe, unless I'm mistaken. The format of this uh, film podcast is 
doing a newer uh, film, discussing, uh, pairing it with like an older classic, usually at least from a few decades or, or longer ago, oftentimes in black and white, uh, oftentimes very old, which uh, Edash Naim here is not the biggest fan of, but I think he's coming around to it, or that might just be wishful thinking on my part. Today, I'm going to talk Licorice Pizza, the new Paul Thomas Anderson film, and pair that with Paper Moon, uh, directed by the aforementioned Peter Bogdanovich. So, and we'll see, we'll check in on other film stuff as well. But do you disagree with what I just said, Eric? You are, are you coming around to, well, I'll, even even Paper Moon is in black and white, actually, even though it's a 70s film, but... Yeah, it's like a period piece from 1973, but about 1953, so not that far in the back, not that far in the rear view, as it were. Oh, wait. 1953. And this is, I mean, that's I mean that's just where I placed it in my head. It doesn't actually say, um, that my my head canon. Well, I I took it to um be like the Great Depression is what I, that's what I thought it was. It should be like the 30s. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I guess. Hmm. I was thinking about the cars, and uh, you may be right. It may be further back than that. Just the vibe of it and everything. I feel like, but um, but yeah, I guess they don't specifically say. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off, though, with my uh, fact-checking and corrections. Uh, and yes, um, Paper Moon is directed by Peter Bogdanovich, uh, based on a novel by Joe David Brown and adapted with the mm. screen by Alvin Sargent. So. I'm trying to think, does he? I haven't seen his whole uh, catalog. This is one of his most well-known ones. I'm not particularly familiar with him myself. His kind of breakout... He had one film before this, which I still have not seen, but uh, his breakout film... It was uh, the last picture show, which I think was came out maybe a year or two before Paper Moon. I only watched that for the first time fairly recently. That's really good. That's a classic. And yeah. then he has, also in the early seventies, he had a film with uh, starring Barbara Streisand, mentioned uh, of course in Licorice Pizza, which we'll be talking about. No, it's Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Streisand. Exactly. Yay! I'm not seeing a ton. Of movies on this list, I'm 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 on his IMDb now, uh, that I would have seen, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, look at so that one I was talking about is called What's Up, Doc. It also has Ryan O'Neill from Paper Moon as the other lead. It's kind of like a live action cartoon kind of vibe. I feel like I mean, it's called What's Up, Doc. It's a reference to Bugs Bunny, obviously. A stretch hand plays like an impish kind of Bugs Bunny type character. It's kind of weird because like it's a grown woman, not like a cartoon character, but. That one's well regarded too, and I, I liked it okay. Not as much as the, the other two we mentioned, but I guess he did like he was part of like the early seventies, you know, along with Scorsese and these guys, like kicking off like the new Hollywood. I think it's called movement with a certain like style change from obviously the fifties, sixties, those type of films, which I think I was kind of getting into with you talking about older films, but. Maybe the ones you've had more of an issue with are even from the 30s and 40s, I think. But that did have, like, there is, like, there was, like, a shift. I Most people think it's, like, around the late 60s, early 70s in um, how films are done, basically. The naturalism, all this stuff, which I'm assuming you prefer, right? Yeah, I wouldn't characterize, like, my personal taste as, like, a monolithic or a, a categorical dismissal of the, the monolith that that is 
classic film. I'm, of course, like a fan of the great classics, a bunch of them that we've discussed. Some, like, you've put me on to some new ones that I wouldn't have given a chance because, you know, uh, why would I risk it <laughs> going into some of these? But uh, I, what I would say is I'm not a fan of dog shit films or films that aged poorly. Two separate categories of classic film. Okay. The uh, former being a little... I would categorize that as a bit of a, a subjective opinion, but it, the way you talk about it doesn't always come across that way. Uh, yeah, that's that's my thing. Anyway, I think... So it is a new year. It's 2022. Like I just mentioned, if, you, if you're new to, to listening to the pod here, we kind of switched the format in 2021 to do this thing, which we're still continuing, like the... Uh, the new one and the classic pair i try to pick like something that pairs kind of well which i think the ones today too i uh, do rather i'll see if eric agrees here but with those ones we were kind of you know all last year when we started doing that it was kind of more like we'll talk about one first then the other kind of go now i'm kind of thinking change at least for this episode we'll see if how it goes but kind of thinking about starting off kind of like talking the comparisons or talking about both of them together maybe a little bit what do you think about that start in the middle of the venn diagram yeah i can i I can get with that i i mean everyone who has ever listened to your show knows that i'm completely in the tank for paul thomas anderson and everything that he does so it's not like true not like anybody's waiting with waiting with bated breath for my review no i I think we could get that out of the way that i like both these films a lot and obviously just having seen licorice pizza now about almost a week ago uh, only the one time, but uh, I loved it. I'll say what a what a fucking movie, yeah, man! It definitely gave me that feeling during and you know, walking out of the theater, all that stuff of like, oh damn, that's a movie, you know. Um, a pretty feel good PTA. Not that his movies aren't always, but sometimes a lot of them have, and there's some of it in this as well. But a lot of them have that kind of I'm almost gonna say melancholy vibe, but it's not quite right. It's a rage in, in a lot of cases. It, yeah. is, it is a tangible rage. Yeah, but there's like a buoyancy in a lot of them, but then it's like dragged down by some of the melancholy or the rage aspects too. Uh, and then this one, there's some of all of that stuff too, but I mostly felt like it, it was weirdly feel good in a way. I wouldn't describe it as wholesome by any stretch. No, but uh, I don't think feel good means wholesome. You are onto something, and it's like I can't we've discussed several times i I can't take anything wholesome like something deep inside me not just cringes but like gets ready for war when things are wrapped up in a nice little bow and everybody loves each other and the story's actually just about how nice we were to each other the whole time or in the end this is definitely not that but it is just like a lovely warm movie at times yeah and i'm I'm also talking about like feeling your left too a complicated warm movie, yeah but. which is complicated obviously in a way too by the resolution uh yeah well yeah. i guess we're going into uh spoilers already at this point with the way i'm mixing things up here well I- i'll pull back on that for a second then and not talk about the ending or specific details yet but in terms of the feel, well, let me ask then, how, how did you feel about Paper Moon? Did you like that one? Yeah, yeah. So so to kind of pull back for a second, of course, we were talking about Paper Moon, a film uh, from 1973 by Peter Bogdanovich, based on a novel um, somewhat too lovingly adapted, I would say, at times, about a, a man, a con man in the Midwest in possibly the great during the Great Depression. I think so. And yeah. someone who might be his daughter, and the, the antics they get into doing their various cons and uh 
falling in like and becoming a family. And of course, we're comparing that with the ninth film by Best Working American Director Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza, about teens getting into shit in the valley in 19... around the time this film was made. Um, yeah, well, that's one That's one connection I keyed in on, was that this film came out around the time that the, the film Licorice Pizza takes place. And you were right to know that they're both about the emblematic, like, classical quintessential American character... The grifter, the striver, the underdog, the scammer. Yeah, which the character in, I guess, the co-lead of Licorice Pizza, the character played by Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Cooper Hoffman, is that his name? I believe. Oh, that's his name, He's kind of in that mold, right? He's a child actor and somewhat successful, I guess, but also... I would argue even unsuccessful. <laughs> the film is not definitely not kind to his like future acting prospects. Future, maybe. When the film starts, he has had some success. He's doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a play or something with a Lucille Ball kind of stand-in figure. Like, people know him around town, like the casting people in the scenes we see. And then, obviously, the other main character, who I would argue is the more main of the two characters, played by Alana Haim is impressed enough by him to follow, essentially follow and start hanging out with him and start going into his schemes and stuff. Partially because of his... And we should say this is a character that is 10 years younger than her. Yeah, so they're not exactly teens running around the valley. Like you said, I mean, there's a lot of that, and that's the vibe, but obviously she is an adult, an immature one, but an adult nonetheless. And then I guess part of being like a actor... It seems like, especially in the L.A. Hollywood scene, is like you're kind of like a grifter to some extent anyway. Certainly like an actor like Ryan O'Neill and Paper Moon or whatever in his career. Like I, I w- playing that type of role he's playing in this, I could see drawing, you know, some of that for a role where you're playing, you know, a con man. Especially the kind, well, which most con men are, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. have to be personable or you have to... Um, it's charisma, and it, it's charisma, and it's a certain um, a charismatic, yeah, panache yeah. and uh, confidence. I mean, mm-hmm. what do they call them? Confidence men, you know. Right, right. That's how like actors are, and and then it's it's even more stark when you see it as like child actors, like this character is in in Liquor's Pizza, how they act. They are kind of like adults in a way more than regular kids, but it's the whole kind of it's like hard to watch impressive in a way which i think is keyed in on here and i think that's why a character like yeah the, the heim character what, what's uh what what are the two names of the two leads in the uh, licorice pizza oh her name is alana in the movie too right yeah alana heim plays a character named alana kane and gary valentine is played by cooper hoffman uh yeah on the line of what you're saying i think it's crucial that he kind of sets this in the valley so tangentially maybe connected at one point along each wave of the curve or curve of the wave you know uh to hollywood but this is not a hollywood story like this isn't swingers these are these are characters on the margins all right maybe it's gonna happen for me but what do i do how do i get by until until then and and it's like in the in the case of the i guess gary character it's like he's born into this already like or or at age whatever 15 or 16 however old he's supposed to be by the and you know he's like already doing that stuff yeah like like trying these new businesses and stuff like i mean this is like a 15 or 16 year old kid he's like at one point they do like a waterbed company that's a big plot line because he finds out that's a new thing you know 
which was a good scene. I like the scene in general for what it was, but then also it's at that point you don't know what's going to happen. And I guess I'm kind of getting, I mean, there's not too much you could really spoil from Licorice Pizza, but other than kind of where the character relationship goes between the, the main two, but you're not realizing yet in the scene, you know what I'm talking about, where he goes to in the shop where the waterbed is and like the hot assistant or cashier, whoever she is, sales person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, looking over him and the owner guy comes in trying to sell which is kind of funny in the first place i thought like i guess if a kid came in you would try to sell them but, but like do kids normally buy beds like 15 year old kids but anyway well right and like the movie treats him and he acts as if he's a he is a grown man yeah. and he can do whatever he wants and he can go out and get whatever he wants and that's part of like what we're got we're talking about already yeah exactly which is like a great contrast with the alana character who is you know at least 25 years old sometimes she says she's 28 and we don't know if she's lying then or yeah, before that's interesting too and he's definitely in a state of arrested development like just waiting for something to happen to her mm-hmm. lives at home with their parents and, and, and very much afraid of going out and getting it you yeah know? but just to wrap up my point on the or my thought on the waterbed scene like at that point when he's in that scene you don't realize like he's gonna go oh, start making this a business and like he's like going and he's like the type of person that's looking for these things and then later it happens. He gets the tip on the yeah, pinball yeah. thing and all of that. But. And then opens a pinball bar as a 15 year old, 16 year old. Yeah, exactly. Boy. The suspension. I don't know if this is like, it requires suspension of disbelief or is this is just like what the level of supervisation in the valley in the 70s was like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anywhere in the 70s, maybe. Early 70s, too. I believe this takes place in 73. We see a we see a marquee that has "Live and Let Die" on it, which is a James Bond film that came out in seventy three. Mm-hmm. Most of the the soundtrack, which typical of a PTA film, is really great. I think killer needle drops. Not even songs that I really recognized. Yeah, uh, in a lot of the cases, but but like yeah, a lot of like damn I mean, most great them, choice. But, but most of those songs are from the early seventies, late sixties. The one that's not that I even looked it up because I was like. I think it opens the movie. Is that song "Stumbling In"? Uh huh. They're even playing it in the theater. I saw. I watched the film in uh, here in LA before the movie started. They're playing that, and I was. I guess they're just playing it because they obviously knew it was coming up in the movie. But that one's from the late seventies, so I was wondering why that one's in there. Maybe you're just a big fan. Maybe, or is it saying something? Is that song saying something that you? PTA wanted to put it in even though it's not exactly time accurate i don't know yeah i don't know it is a duet like with a man and a woman singing but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. truthfully i think i missed that um i when i got into the theater there was a long line and i couldn't just check in with my electronic ticket like i had to go to the register and check in there and then go in line and have my ticket taken so i did miss that i came in uh while they were already in line and he was already putting the moves on her at the school picture pretty much the start of it yeah i figured i only missed like maybe a minute and a half yeah not not too much more than that i don't think uh well by the way as you had talked about in the past episode or maybe not the last one but only just a few months ago you'd still not been back to a theater was this was the first one or no or you'd went to i went twice no uh the day before i went and saw matrix revolutions with my cousins uh this is back in arkansas in a nearly empty theater um, and then I saw this in a an empty theater in Little Rock. Yeah, I'm surprised it's even playing there. <laughs> uh, it, it is playing in one theater. It is playing at Riverdale 10 in Little Rock, so... 
Alright, shout out to the little Rock Riverdale 10. Yeah, but anyway, the soundtrack, great. I loved it. Great needle drops. I didn't didn't know the songs, didn't didn't bother me at all. Yeah, I mean there's one they they do like Let Me Roll It by Paul McCartney, which I only started like listening to that or I only kinda of heard that song for the first time, I feel like maybe like four years ago or something, and then I started hearing it like everywhere. Weirdly. Some songs just like get into the zeitgeist for some reason even one like that was from the early 70s uh-huh. but and then yeah there's like the doors peace frog which is a song i really like um, mm-hmm. that's kind of like in the montage where they're making money and stuff yeah that's what i was familiar with and the the david bowie song from the trailer obviously i'm familiar with yeah you gotta know that one yeah life on mars um i'm gonna just pull the soundtrack up here now we're talking about what else was in here Oh, there's a Nina Simone song. I don't really remember when that came in. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I recognize Nina Simone's voice. I don't know that I knew that song. I don't think I did either. It's called July Tree. Yeah, Stumbling In is Chris Norman and Susie Quattro. It's, yeah, from uh, 78. So, yeah, not the early 70s, like, where this was from, which all other songs are from then or earlier. So, yeah, that's, that is strange. Yeah, like Walk Away by the James Gangs, well known. Bing Crosby accentuate the positive. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean it's a little bit varied, mostly in the early seventies, but films with a lot of needle drops like that. They it does do a lot of work for the film, but at the same time, I don't hate it either. Like I still like it. So I don't know if it's. What do you think about that? Is it like kind of a? I won't call it like a cheat, but kind of like an easy way to. It's a bit of a cheap trick right uh but it does the way i feel is if the movie is strong underneath it like i don't care it's like putting a great sauce on a bad chicken like you'll 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 know if it didn't deserve the needle drops and this one did especially it reminded me a lot of the needle drops in fucking once upon a time dot 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 in hollywood movie deserved its needle drops and it was fine yeah in general did you think this film was it was in a way, it was kind of a counterpoint to like something uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are similarities there too. Obviously, it's in L.A. Uh, it's in this, I guess, only four years later from nineteen sixty nine. This one. Well, it's like it's also like two of the great two of the great filmmakers making movies set in a similar set five years apart in the same in yeah close locations yeah uh, said like around the time they were kids or like very young kids i guess yeah uh where they have some nostalgia five years apart like they're in conversation whether they want to be right or not. makes sense but even that yeah the story obviously both touches on the film industry and both of them and as real people or people based on real people like i believe the gary character in this is based on a real like friend of paul thomas anderson's that was a child actor that's so, correct. Yeah. I don't know if he got, I didn't do the research to see if he did all these schemes and stuff. I, I got to believe some of that's from there. I hope yeah. he did. At least the thing with John Peters. So that, that was Barbara Streisand's husband at the time, played by Bradley Cooper in this film. Pretty much like known to be a lunatic. He's been dead now for a little while, but. Uh, played perfectly by Bradley Cooper, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he was great in this. I'd said, oh, so I should mention to you. We, on my YouTube channel, we did, you and I did a trailer reaction for this, maybe about, I don't know, three months ago, something like that. And, uh, we didn't, we didn't exactly call what was happening in the movie. I didn't realize during that, that 
Because we saw, like, there was a camera and some stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I think we thought they were going to be shooting, like, a Super 8 film. Or, like, they are like, making a film, you know? I feel like the trailer was leading us in that direction on purpose to deflect from the fact that it's just, like, a, a, a nice little, like, like, small love story about two insignificant people adjacent to, you know, the great biz. Yeah. But again, going back to him having some success, like, he is the character, is a working, somewhat working actor. Or was, at least, at the start mm. of this. And, like, yeah, we were thinking in the trailer, like, oh, are they making a movie about, like, what, like, just kids making their movies? That's movie definitely something? what I thought. And it seemed like the Tom Waits character was directing in the trailer. And he, he does play a director in this, but he's not really... He's directing his friend to do a motorcycle jump, like, outside of a bar. Not a film or anything to do with the Gary character, so... Or their friend, so... That was... I know I remember that too from at least my thoughts from the trailer. Is that who Tom Waits plays? The guy who's like yeah, the director who's like when Sean Penn does the yeah okay. motorcycle drum. I definitely didn't key in on the fact that this character was going to be ten years older than him, even though the line "I think it's pretty fucking weird." I hang out with Gary and his fifteen-year-old friends all the time was in the trailer. Yeah, I thought maybe because I even did say like, "Oh, how old is this youngest time sister?" Like I did, obviously didn't think she was like. A, uh, high school age or anything and i guess she's 28 in real life or something is that maybe the joke of the 28 or 25 thing maybe that, i mean that sounds cheeky enough to be true right yeah and then her, the whole heim family is in this as well which i didn't realize was going to be the case yes they are and the dad is pretty funny a couple of funny lines yeah we i think in the trailer we thought i thought at least like oh maybe she's playing like a 18 or 19 year old and then that's about the fifth but no she's like 20 at least 25 Oh, I think, I don't know if this is the point I was trying to think of just now, but I have said in the past, yeah, to you on this podcast, or maybe even in the trailer reaction, that I was getting Cooper fatigue a little bit. Uh, not the character in the film, of course, or the uh, actor in Cooper Hoffman, but uh, Gary, uh, Bradley Cooper, rather. But no, he was great in this. Uh, he was used sparingly, and yeah. it, it, was, it ruled. And it's just so good. I mean, it's it's a good, you know, character game to have, but like, just see any woman he sees he's like immediately starts trying to pick up essentially even though he's like enraged at like all other times pretty much or being a douchebag yeah that was a great scene in the truck with him like, just leaning over gary to hit on uh and compliment uh alana uh while she's driving the truck there yeah that was amazing <laughs> and, uh, and obviously gross but you know what i mean yeah yeah just the the like the electricity of is this fucking happening uh, a great set piece there the whole thing about i mean i guess we might as well just talk spoilers now you know, we kind of were already or not even spoilers but just like specific plot points we're also not doing what you suggested which was talking about the two movies in tandem we are just talking about licorice pizza which is fine with me i know i know we're getting away from it well this will lead us back to the tandem a little bit here which is like that whole thing was a great set piece. We don't have to talk about it right now in detail, but which you couldn't tell from the trailer either was going to be the case with like that whole thing with John Peters and the gas crisis and then driving the truck. Um, there's a whole thing toward the end with her getting involved with the, the politician. Basically, there's these like set, different set piece things, different kind of adventures, if you call it, or different vignettes, essentially, which is also how Paper Moon is too, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The father daughter are going along scamming people and they get into de- it's kind of like the movie's kind of broken up into separate sections the same way right uh exactly the individual scams run on them or by them 
And that's what I meant, like, man, does that movie drag? It's a good movie. I like, I liked it. But holy shit, does it drag. But it feels like one three-chapter chunk of the, of the novel is going to be this, and one three-chapter chunk of the novel is going to be that. And on screen, it, it ends up being like, we're, okay, we're spending 18 minutes with this random woman. Are you talking about his girl? Uh, uh Miss whatever, D-Light, yeah. Trixie. See, and that, to me, that was like maybe the best, some of the best part of the movie i don't know that was when it started to lose me a bit to be perfectly honest well i i think i just really like madeline khan so who's the actor that, that oh what do you like character. about her what do you mean <laughs> no no she's attractive but i mean she's in like uh, blazing shadows and yeah yeah young frankenstein she's in the mel brooks movies so i, I just think she's a great comedic actress who died sadly died young she was fine i I didn't like the affectations they gave her, to be perfectly honest. And I mean, that was really like, okay, this yeah. person is Well, she's real. not real. Like, she's not supposed to be. Like, it, it's supposed to, I think at least supposed to be clear that it is an affectation. And she's not really like that, obviously. The character's not really, but like, is like acting that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like how she gets by and does her, like, makes herself seem more important or anything like that. I guess I do get that. I guess what I'm actually saying is that it was annoying. The affectations were so annoying to me, I just like my eyes started to glaze over yeah and then so there is some of the same similar stuff where like so the tatum o'neill character is then devising what like plans to get rid of her and just different schemes and stuff uh which is similar in a way to licorice pizza like kind of getting into obviously a younger kid but getting into that sort of thing being responsible for money in a way and things like that for getting by basically and then Ryan, so the, obviously that Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill were father and daughter in real life. So Tatum O'Neill is a child actress in the 70s, also mirroring Licorice Pizza in terms of like the character and that. So that's just another connection I thought of as well, but... Yeah. And she's great in paper. You know, honestly, I hate child actors. Uh, I hate seeing them in things. The acting is never up to par. We've discussed this before when we were talking about Walkabout last year. And yet, it was fine. Like, she did she did great. I didn't hate the character. I didn't hate the character because of her bad acting, and I don't, I don't think she did that much bad acting. Yeah. I also hate a movie, and I, once again, I liked this movie. I hate a movie where, like, uh, an adult who won't grow up learns something from a wise child, and it's supposed to be, like, some wholesome thing. And that's not really what was happening with this movie. Like, they're, they are both scammers. No, I mean, I wouldn't. Scammers. You were talking about not liking wholesome stuff before, but neither of these films have that, like, wholesome ending, certainly. No, there's something completely different going on in Paper Moon that I did actually enjoy and I did find literarily satisfying about these two. I mean, you could say that she learned it from him, but the, the scrappy scammer mentality, like, she's not teaching him that it's bad to scam. She's teaching him just, like... We can get more money out of certain kinds of people. Yeah, right. It's fucking great. I mean, it is the sort of thing, too. Like, you can have a partner in this, even though, it, it, whether it's really his daughter or not. Yeah. Whether it's family or not, literally, like, you can... The one wholesome moment in the whole movie when, at, at, at toward the very end, there's, like, I guess, earned wholesomeness to me. These characters, to full spoiler for a movie from 1973 that I'd be surprised if anyone wanted to see and hasn't already. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> but like when he drops her off at her end because everything went went poorly and she just like can't take life in polite society like she she has to go back and find this possible father character because just like that's what i meant to do i meant to be on the road with my scam and dad scamming but like a really beautiful moment that the movie actually earned as opposed to like just getting by on simpleness of 
uh, it's perceived, the audience that it perceives is out there for itself, and the delight at seeing a child saying things. Being precocious. Saying something witty on camera. Like, I mean, it's a totally different vibe than what I was expecting. Exactly. Precocious is the word that you that is always used and the one I was looking for here. It's something totally different that I was expecting when you told me this is a movie starring a father and daughter pair about a father and daughter pair. So it was totally different and like refreshing and great. Lovely movie. I think Ryan O'Neill was like an asshole in real life. Oh. <laughs> and then Taylor O'Neill got all into drugs and alcohol and stuff. So that's probably... Yes. I, I watched a TV special on her life after acting with my mom once when I was like 18. I knew that about yeah. her. So, I mean, there's probably drawing some from some real things there, even at this point. You know, like, stipulated probably an asshole in real life? He was great. Uh, Acting-wise? Like, he was really good in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a very good actor. And he's got a range, too. I've seen him in a couple other films, all generally from the 70s later earlier late 70s but um and he's in what's up doc too like i said which came out after this i believe maybe it came out before no i'm not sure that's the one with stretch hand but he's like a very over-the-top comedic kind of straight man com- comedy movie guy and that nerd almost type of guy from this one you know being the con man charismatic guy uh-huh. with an edge it also really doesn't hurt that he looks a bit like robert redford in butch cassidy yeah, I guess that's true. And then, yeah, he's in, like, a movie called The Driver from the late 70s, where he's, which is kind of, like, the precursor to the movie Drive. I think that took some things from The Driver, where he's, like, basically, it, similar to Drive, he, like, barely talks in that one, and it's, like, the stoic kind of guy. So he's got range for sure. Do you um, think he could pull off the jacket from Drive? That I don't know about all that. That might be. I don't know if he has jacket range like that. But I guess... Uh, I knew not to, but I, I wanted that jacket. Yeah, that was a smart or a shrewd... A shrewd, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? Uh, knowing your limits there on that one. Self-editing. It was a heat check that didn't have to be, and it wasn't. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's like a Parks and Rec joke about that where like Tom from that show like uh, gets a jacket or something and is wearing it in one of the episodes. Oh, I'm sure. Anyway, yeah, I think... You know, both films, getting back to comparing them, uh, uh, acting screen, both there's good character acting and little moments from character actors in both as well. Uh, Randy Quaid shows up in uh, Paper Moon. Yep. Um, which is always funny. Randy Quaid and the aliens, they're they're all here. Yeah. And then, obviously, no one's probably surprised by this with a, a PTA film, but a huge breadth of uh, character actors in that, too, getting their scenes to shine. I don't know who the actor is that plays the name of the actor that plays like the agent in the one scene, which she is really great at that. When he just go, when he just tells her to go in and say yes to everything, uh, tells Alana to say yes, she can do everything. I can ride a horse. Yes, I can do this. Yes. I just had her name. Hold on, I, I looked her up like a couple of hours ago because I, I wanted to mention her. That scene is incredible. You're a fucking fighter, aren't you? Uh, just yeah. She said she knows Krav Maga, right? Um, you're like, what is that? It's amazing. I, I'm sure I've seen that actress before and stuff, but I, I couldn't pull a, pull what, but maybe. But very good scene there. And that that is a thing, based on a premise of something I have heard actors say, or I have heard people say, that, like, you should just tell casting directors or people that you can do. If they ask, like, I can't ride a horse or any of that, and then just worry about it later. Like, I think the woman we're thinking about is Mary Sansom, her Harriet Sansom Harris. Okay. What else has she been in, do you see? She's in Jet Li's The One. She's in Desperate Housewives. She's in Adam's Family Values. <laughs> I don't... Okay, well, I've seen that one. Though, she's in the one. TV series based on the life of Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 
She was in the Dynasty reboot. She's an American horror well, story. Well, she works. She was in Phantom Thread, of course. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of uh, Adam's Family, you just said... Oh, well, it's the Munster, is not Adam's Family, but did you spot that cameo early in the film that was playing the Munsters, uh, 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 Frankenstein guy? Uh, Herman Munster, I think it's... But no, you're going to have to... You're going to have to refresh so, my Well, so it's in the scene where... Before he gets arrested, which is really crazy scene. <laughs> yeah. He goes to, like, that... Like, he has the woman model or whatever for his waterbeds, I guess. It's like a uh, convention or something. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, I heard the voice of this uh, Frankenstein or this Herman Munster, like, saying, yeah, I'm him, or we're not open yet, that part. Yeah, okay, yes. Was uh, was uh, clearly John C. Riley doing an uncredited cameo, which is funny, I thought. Or I was like, yeah, I spotted that one, PTA, you're not sneaking that one by me. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's where he gets arrested, that's pretty crazy that i guess they could just do that in the 70s um, i mean they could just do that now well to That's, white kids though i don't know about. have you forgotten i don't know about they don't, they don't do it to white people now at least well maybe who knows yeah well that leads to another running so this movie definitely has a thing for running the characters running everywhere what do you think he was doing with that i mean it's definitely a leitmotif they're often running without a particular direction and running toward each other um, which I think is purpose uh, on purpose. I mean, so the so the Cooper Hoffman character, uh, Gary, has no idea where he's going, but he knows he's going to get there. Supremely confident. Uh, I would say the Ilana character uh, knows that she needs to go, uh, but doesn't know where she where she should end up. And so the running, uh, I just like took in you know pretty English one hundred and one literary sense, just like, yep, we're both running. We're running in different directions, and we happen to be running you know toward each other. Or sometimes they're running toward one, one's running toward the other or away from the other. Because that is kind of the push and pull uh-huh, in this film exactly. also. There's a lot of like jealousy at, from each character to the other at different points. Mm-hmm. Even though they don't have any clearly stated you know, romantic relationship or anything like that. <laughs> uh, for most she states pretty clearly several times early on, I'm not your girlfriend. Yeah, but then when the other girl his age basically comes in during that, that scene. Uh, where they have the, the waterbed store where she's like wearing the bikini or whatever and being a model in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then she gets all jealous of him and is like spying on him and stuff. Incredible acting. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. So Lana Heim, I mean, I think Paul Thomas Anderson wrote this character for her, I believe I read or saw. Yes. Or wrote it. He may not have had her in mind writing it, but he had her. He had her in mind enough to like show it to her immediately, and no one else. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna predict that she has uh, O'Neill range or anything like that, or a you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman range or something. But absolutely great performance. Wouldn't be surprised if she gets nominated for best actress in this. I had command of the movie. It was completely dazzling. She was everywhere. Yeah. This is partly and/or borderline mostly up to filmmaking. But there's there's a scene that I'm thinking about constantly, like early on, where like you you can see that she's ah fuck I'm falling for this guy's whole spiel whole shtick, aren't I? Uh, where they're sitting across the table from each other, and the camera is almost planted on the table at Gary's like left elbow, and her eyes are just the biggest moons. Uh, like the the way she's like googly eyeing him, uh, it's just like the, these like almost about to cry wet eyes, just just like the best face acting i've seen in i don't know two or three months mm-hmm. it's, it's <laughs> incredible and, and a completely untrained actor you'll love to see it it's great that was a funny way to end that 
<laughs> that whole praise for like uh, in two, three months or whatever. But anyway, I agree with everything you said. And Cooper Hoff, I mean, it's not so surprising considering his father's. I guess some of this is probably genetic uh, talent wise, but this is the only film he's ever done. He was great too. Magnetic as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if, I mean, I feel like if he stays in the game, he's going to be used over and over again, and not just because of who his dad is. Like he, he, he did good. He did a great job. PTA knew Heim from doing their videos and stuff, and they, I'm sure they have some connection of like they're both from the valley. I believe Heim is from the valley as well. They're de- definitely from LA somewhere. I think so. So uh, different generations, but you know that uh, connection there, and then of course like Maya Rudolph's in this one and seeing his wife and all these people i feel like it is on this one he's like i want to do a personal film to me and then i'm gonna have my friends and family all be in it too and kind of stuff like that right right and it definitely like in a like like as an adult nearing or past 50 i don't know how old he is actually probably around who's made like nine movies now and has two kids and is in a loving relationship presumably like the rage is seeping out of his movies the last two movies have just been love stories but they've been they've still just been fucking great nothing he does is ever just anything it is delightful to see someone that i latched onto because of the rage and his frankly his desire to write the great american novel (laughs) just like let go of both those things and still just make movies that i I completely adore you're saying because there's hope for you too then there's no hope for me (laughs) but (laughs) okay but you're happy someone else exactly yeah and even when you say rage like there's yeah, there's not really rage in this film too much, I don't think. Well, there's a lot of Barry Egan in, in the Alana character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so exactly. So, like, she has, like, anger issues, clearly, but it's just emblematic of the character and, like, shading to the character more than, like, what the movie's thing is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and at least there's some good comedy, too. Obviously, PTA is good at getting the kind of dramedy angle of some of these things, which anger leads to a lot. And then, yeah, what else have... I mean, there's plenty more we can talk about, you know, just doing pretty cursory on this. Uh, so it's not too long of a pod, but... Yeah, I guess so. Also, another family, friends kind of thing, or whatever you would call it, is, like, this one of the, the Safety brothers in this as well. I assume he knows... I assume they know each other just from... Just from both being successful American directors? Yeah, I'd imagine, that, I'd imagine they're at least acquainted. Yeah, exactly. I don't think this casting came out of nowhere. I would think Safdie and his brother are... Yeah, yeah, I would assume they're fans of his, influenced by him, all, everything is, like that. Is Benny Safdie the one that was in Good Time? I think he must be, right? I mean, he looks different, but... It's Benny, it's not Josh, Benny right? Benny Safdie. Or is... I don't remember which one was. I assumed it was the same one, because I thought that one is just the one who does acting, too, but maybe that's not correct. It's Benny. He's the second enlisted star. Okay, so I'm assuming Josh doesn't act. But this guy's playing is a real, I would, I'm assuming a real person in real life too, or at least based on someone. Or at least a, like an anagram of a character that is obviously right, right. real. Yeah, so that was an interesting part too where he, I mean, you can kind of see where that it's going early on when he's like giving the interview of like, uh, why don't you have a wife or a girlfriend? Or like, yeah, I just don't have time for that and all this stuff. But, you know, I met a lot of nice girls or whatever. So you're like, okay, I kind of, I'm pretty sure I know where this is going. Right, right, right. But then it, they do throw some wrinkles in of like the, it almost, I mean, it almost sets up at the end of like, what is something bad gonna happen here with like the guys like watching outside? Or he puts like a little thread in the tension that it creates is it's incredible. Tension, yeah, yeah. 
in, in something that is ultimately just like could have been a three minute collection of, of of clips from other scenes to eventually lead her back to gary and what it was is this really tense almost dark or you expect it to turn dark portion of the movie that starts becoming about la politics and starts becoming about you know social politics in the 70s and then we get back into the story that, that he's been telling the whole time i mean it's just like who, who does shit like that like who, yeah you know as someone who has strong command of their game you know of direction clearly and <laughs> storytelling but yeah any and speaking of character i don't know who that guy was like the guy but uh he was great face and everything too like perfect energy mm-hmm. so then let's kind of talk about that in here then and what it means or what it's trying to say i guess because like so alana starting to like we said she's immature for her age feels like she needs to get be more of an adult or more serious mm-hmm. it's kind of like really clarified for her when she does the whole drive down the hill with no gas thing backwards you know in the truck and then all the uh, cooper and all the friends are uh yeah, are all partying and, like, dicking around outside and, you know, clearly being kids. Right, right. Like the Seinfeld episode where they're like, we're not men, we're children. Like, it was the best thing that ever happened or whatever. So she gets... Because that would be a story that a 15-year-old boy would tell oh, yeah, yeah. over and over for the rest of his fucking life. I mean, life. I, I, if, the, if something like that happened to me and my friends when I was 15, 16, whatever, I, I would certainly still be talking. We would be talking about it every time we saw each other, I'm sure, still. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, though... She decides, like, oh, I'll be get into politics and be more serious, whatever. So then she kind of gets this other potential love interest here. I mean, she initially likes the safety, but then realizes what the deal is. Mm-hmm. But her and the other guy that works for him are kind of seem like they might get together. You know, they almost kiss, and then she gets a call to go get to go take care of a uh, safety's uh, boyfriend or whatever from the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but they're like, well, well, maybe we'll meet at a bar later or something. So it's like, all right, so this is going. She's going to have, like, a normal age-appropriate relationship here, a more adult thing, like, serious-minded guy. But then, no, she realizes she wants to run after Cooper, and that's how it ends, essentially. She says, I love you, too, my then. I wasn't sure, was she, like, was that supposed to be, like, in her head or something, or she was literally saying it to him right there? Because it kind of cut away, and it's like... I don't think... Just because nothing else has happened in a character's head in this movie, I kind of assume that it literally happened. And so we're to assume that she, they're just going to be in this relationship, at least for now, I guess, at the end of the film. Which, again, is like a, like t- probably technically illegal, I guess, or if it's not highly questionable. Yeah, and it is squicky and, like, uncomfortable and, like, not okay by today's standards. And I, I've seen, like, a lot of, not a lot. But I've seen some straw men set up along those lines, which is like, yes, and also that's part of that's part of it. That's part of the whole thing. I saw a tweet that just said Licorice Pizza is a movie about a woman embarrassing herself, and like, yes, precisely. She's not fully grown up. Uh, that's that's the whole point of the movie, and it is simply a movie. So of course, this sixteen-year-old boy is acting twenty-three, and she's twenty-eight, acting twenty-three. Just like, yeah, it's a movie, so they end up together. Perfect, no problem. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree with any of that at all. I I loved it, but. Uh... What do you think there's something more Anderson's trying to say here with this? Or is it just like, this is a story, this could, would happen, this is the themes? I don't know. Thematically, I, I think I've kind of landed it like what I just said, right? It, it, it's, it's because she's a, she's an adult. The levels of maturity. Yeah. Who is, and yeah, not, she's an adult who doesn't feel like she's grown her wings, doesn't feel like she's reached adulthood, and he's a child that thinks, that thought he's an adult since he was 
a much younger child. There is a movie about their paths crossing and probably in all likelihood if these were real people, right? Crossing briefly and then they go their separate ways. Like if those scenes of them running toward each other uh, in the middle and, and end of the movie, like if they had not stopped when they met, you know? Yeah, well, that's pretty much it. I mean, do you know why this, by the way, uh, film is called Licorice? Absolutely no fucking clue. I know the development title uh, was, was Soggy Bottom. Uh, which is the name of their mattress company, and she keeps telling them, just like, that's right. a bad idea. It turns out, yeah, that the very uh, poorly named. So, a couple things about that. Well, one, I think we knew that, because I think we mentioned that during the... Maybe not during... I guess it wouldn't have been during our trailer reaction, because we obviously knew the name of it by then. But maybe when we were talking on the podcast in the past about whatever PTA's next film was going to be, it was announced or whatever, I think we talked about it being that title, because I made, like, a british bake-off joke or something mm-hmm, if mm-hmm, i recall because they always say soggy bottom on that's like what you don't want to have at the bottom of your pastry or pie or whatever so i was like is it going to be like a cooking movie or, or a baking movie or something i kind of hope that's why that is the working title uh <laughs> and the, the mattress store the the waterbed stores part just kind of came up around it is from that and then it's like is this a meta thing too they changed the title because because even if the movie was going to be called that that's kind of a bad name for a movie also. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, off-putting, you know? So when they're saying, like, the the product in the movie is off-putting, it is, like, a meta thing, whether intentionally or not, I guess, in hindsight now. So that was funny to me. But I looked up what Ligger's Pizza is because I was like, why the hell is it called that? Like, there's... I have no idea. Yeah. Anderson's... It, it apparently was, like, a, a name of a record store chain back in the early 70s in L.A. Oh, great. So... Anderson was like, well, if it's just like, uh, that's like what I think oh. of when I think of that time period. It's like one of the things that comes to mind, even though I would assume that's not the case for large majority of people. So it's still kind of weird, but I like it in a way, I guess. I just assumed he hadn't explained it because he doesn't explain shit, <laughs> which is one of the things that I love about him. Yeah. No, he, he did explain that one uh, in an interview, at least, or something. But anyway... Good film is what we're trying to say. Oh, yeah, it was great. Anything else on Paper Moon? You said you did like it, ultimately. Um, I did. I did. It was a bit trying at times. I think it was about 30 minutes too long. But good movie. Not what I expected, which is a good thing in this case. And it does have the... I mean, it's not, like, the same. We're kind of talking about the structure where it's kind of vignettes in both things. This one feels more... Yeah. I didn't... I guess I didn't know that was based on a novel. Like, I'm not surprised in retrospect that it was but i can of course say now and no one's around to fact check me or anything but like i definitely had the impression uh when we got into that middle section where it was just like 15 minutes in this situation 15 minutes in this situation 15 minutes in another situation uh it was like okay this is based on a novel this is like chapters of a book or something i mean i guess licorice pizza could be obviously it isn't but it could be you know, Tarantino made a book out of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, turned that into, reverse engineered that into a novel. Have you read that? I have it. I started it. I'm just so bad at reading and that I've only read a couple of chapters, even though it's good. Yeah, who the fuck reads anymore? Get over yourself, Quentin. Well, I have another book on film that I'm reading right now, too, which is really good. Uh, uh, not, uh, you know, not a fictional book, but about uh, the year of 1967 best picture nominees and kind of the change actually it's about the changing times around that time period of when films started being different and that i've like had for a couple of months and i'm only halfway through so i'm not uh i watch too many films and 
sports and everything else to like get read too much unfortunately i do have that a man for all seasons <laughs> i don't think uh pta is going to go that tarantino route of turning this or any of his films into a novelization however if he i think he definitely could with this one if he wanted to like i think it would actually work pretty well in the same fashion that way because of the kind of vignette style of it yeah well i guess we'll see in three years right that's the news pattern just to release anything every three years yeah well it's got some high music videos out in between at least right yeah i guess i gotta get into that band i like Haim. I i like them i'm just not like into that band you know they were i mean i was probably listening to them more in like 20 2013 yeah 14 15 same but uh had some good songs i remember i always wanted to do so they have this song called the wire which i think is a pretty good song it's a good one and i always thought it would be funny to like do even though it'd be too much work and i wouldn't do it to like cut in scenes from the wire of like all the times when people get murdered on that show or things like that and like put it to that music video great and uh, just have the juxtaposition i think it would be funny but yeah, because the tone's really not this. Yeah, I, I see that. Maybe I'll get into that, and that'll be timely, of course, too. But get into that rather than reading my, my books. But uh, anything more to distract me from reading, but probably not. Yeah, well, anyway, RIP to Bogdanovich. I mean, maybe we should talk a little bit more about his direction before we wrap it up, just to give him his due. I think he makes, in this and uh, Last Picture Show, he makes really good use of setting, I think. And space and background and the wide space. openness of what it... Yeah, exactly. Effectively, even though it's set after a time that the West was air quotes settled, is kind of a Western. Yeah, it's along that vibe. And he does coming of age very well also, I think. Even more so in the uh, last picture show, but in this somewhat too, I would say the... What is the Tatum O'Neill's name in this one? Um, Addie. Addie, right. She's coming of age in a way even though she's still pretty young when it ends but also like thematically like a, a, another tick for like how it's how the, the the two films that we chose to talk about today are connected uh as i see it mm-hmm. uh is that like the the Tatum o'neill character is kind of coming of age even though she's like what eight she's she's coming away she's 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 growing up fast mentally like she's in a like i'm a scammer now i i'm an eight-year-old fucking scammer yeah uh, that my, my meeting with this grown man has completely changed the way i think about everything and also, you know, yeah, he's kind of coming good. back it's down good. to earth. I think they do connect pretty well. Aging or growing up back, like in 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 backward directions, is a another connecting theme here. So we did that for you if you wanted it. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, I don't. I can't open up the licorice pizza discussion again here. We're closing it down. But, We're gonna be here for another fucking hour. Yeah, but just like how he deals with adults too. Like and they all know him, and like he's like like the restaurant owner. All these guys yes. are acting like he's exactly their peer. Or I mean, he has his own table at this famous uh, Sherman Oaks or whatever, wherever it is uh, restaurant. She asks like the owner of the restaurant if he's here tonight. If if a sixteen year old boy is there, I mean, I guess that's kind of how the thing opens and how you start. On how it starts unraveling that he he's asking her on the date when they meet and saying he'll be at this restaurant and he goes there all the time obviously seeming like a lie or an exaggeration which it really isn't right 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 right. anyway definitely one i want to watch again yeah for sure the other thing i wanted to mention very quickly is how like hard he's just flexing with some of these shots like the the thing that he does several i think three times where he's shooting it in a mirror and like characters are walking toward the camera and you see them walking away from the it's just like 
Oh, okay. He didn't have to go that hard. You're talking he about didn't have PTA. to go that hard. For a second, I thought you were saying yeah, yeah, like yeah. how hard the Cooper character is flexing on shooting his shot. Oh, no. <laughs> but both are true. Yeah. It, yes. Just because we brought it up with, with Paper Moon, uh, it is very much an ostentatiously, I would say, virtuoso performance from the camera. Bogdanovich in that phase was... St- I mean, he was like the young hot shot. Uh, similar to PTA when he came out. The young hot shot, it kid director kind of bum. I mean, I think he was only like, and even in 73 here, I think he was only like maybe 30 or so, or not much older. So, yeah, it's similarities there too. I'm like, mm-hmm. flexing in a way, and but like having the ability to do so. Uh, so it's like, you want to hate it in a way, or probably people did at the time, peers and such, but you can't do it. Well, R.I.P. Bogdanovich and everyone else who, uh, who uh, passed away recently from the film world. Hopefully PTA will be uh, around for many more uh, decades even, making films. You gotta think we can get five more. Yeah, I mean, who knows where it's gonna go, the way you're talking about the phase he's going into, or losing some of that uh, impotent rage into more subdued or satisfied uh, avenue. Mm. Will it continue down that way? Who knows? But uh, yeah, so let's let's wrap it up here by saying what else are we? I mean, this is January twenty twenty two, kind of when the the Oscar stuff's all, uh, yeah, or at least the prestige films at least are all getting out uh, out now. That type of film or otherwise, what are we looking forward to this year or uh, just for next next month even potentially? I am desperate to see both Benedetta and the Worst Person in the World. Mm. Yeah, I want to see both of those myself. Uh, Benedetta did the new Verhoeven joint, so he's usually very interesting to talk about, if, if not uh, making just great films. I think I have a, a review of uh, his last film uh, floating around on, on YouTube somewhere before I started doing uh, my current channel. I just doing a, uh, L was that, uh, that film. Nice. I recently, like in the last, like I guess, month and a half, saw power of the dog which is great oh yeah there, there was a preview for that and when i was watching licorice pizza because i guess the theater i was at was playing it even though it's you know on netflix so you recommend that I, I need to check that one out too um i do i do it um jane campion right right jane campion's kind of long way to return um and um uh, you know that some, some good performances the story is not what you expect it's literally not what I thought it was. Uh, I listened to a, a review on a podcast. Uh, they apparently were very clear about, I would say, motives for something that happens that I just thought was an accident. So uh, it's a it's it's a dense text. Pretty good, pretty good. Loved it. Mm. I recently rewatched He Got Game. That's about where I am. I'm waiting for these movies to get on services. <laughs> oh, Pig. I watched Pig. Oh, I still haven't seen that yet either. Uh, and um, I gotta say, for once, Nicolas Cage, good performance. Like, great great he was really good oh yeah because you're kind of a kind of a cage hater that's right uh yeah yeah i'll definitely need to watch that i could give a shout out to summer of soul the uh quest love documentary i think it's on hulu now where i watched it that i would recommend that yeah yeah, yeah. it's a 2021 pick about um kind of a woodstock-esque event that happened in harlem with, you know with black uh, artists which kind of got lost the time or the footage was all never done anything with even though they filmed the whole thing mm-hmm. like a Woodstock. So that's very interesting and a very good uh, good doc, I think. But yeah, looking ahead, to, we'll, we'll see we'll see what we want where we want to go next, but some of like something like Worst Person or uh, Benedetta or any of those is definitely a uh, a possibility. 
Uh, I think I mentioned you off off um, Mike. I want to I want to see Red Rocket too. I've heard good things about that one. Sean Baker new film. Yeah, yeah, I want to see that. Oh, I finally saw Lamb. Just between you and me. Mm-hmm. What did we talk about it? Because I I know that's another one we did a preview uh, trailer a uh, reaction rather for. I don't think we've talked about it on Mike. Not on Mike. Yeah, because I had seen it a couple weeks ago too. Well, we can we're well we'll uh, save any discussion of that. For for a future episode but yeah that was another 2021 well it'll come up and we'll see what gets nominated for stuff even though at the end of the day it doesn't really mean a whole lot but just a good way to see what uh is in the zeitgeist at least yeah well that's gonna about do it for this episode of movies are relevant i don't know about you i i think i might lie back on my old waterbed here uh, the ladies love it, by the way, and you should consider getting one, I think, Eric. Oh, oh, is that what's hot in the streets? Okay. I could even call my guy, you know, I think he could probably bring, maybe deliver one. It's not that expensive. Anymore. All right, if he fucks up my house, I'm going to kill him. Well, I told, I, you know, I kind of told him in advance that I said I might bring it up to you, and I was like, he, he's really serious about the house, but he'll probably go out while you're there and leave you alone, so, or with his wife's assistant god that is such a great part of that fucking movie all right we're done we can't keep talking we just do it all again <laughs> we can just go over the home i worked with julie andrews you know she was difficult <laughs> all right yeah so subscribe to brooklyn rebound network if you're not already check out our next episode of movies irrelevant on this here podcast feed also, some NBA stuff, maybe even some NFL stuff coming, sports stuff, comedy stuff, all of that good stuff here on Brooklyn Rebound Network. And until next time, we're going to be up on Out of Here. Peace.